Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, the host of Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. And today we have one of my business heroes, one of my best friends, somebody that I have been able to uh, become a fan of in a different sense, someone who has literally changed my life uh, just through his leadership style, his intentionality, his love for his family, and his desire to never, ever, ever quit, no matter how hard it gets because he's got the gift of perspective. Today we have uh, Kevin Lavelle, a proud SMU alum, uh, a proud husband, uh, just celebrated their 10 year anniversary, a proud father, two kids in school now, and also uh, the proud co-founder of one of the most iconic, comfortable, dress fit company shirts, whatever you want to call it, in the history of the world, Mizzen in Maine. In the history of the world. In the history of the world. I, yes. and I butchered the intro to it, but Kevin is the, is the brains behind Mizzen in Maine as well as many other ventures, which we're going to get to today. But Kevin, thanks for being here today. I'm, I'm really glad that we get to share your story with the world. I'm glad one of our conversations is recorded. Yes, I'm glad that this is the only one yes. that, is, that is recorded. <laughs> no, but I, I met Kevin probably, I guess, 12, actually 13 or 14 years ago. He was an undergrad at SMU, and I don't even know if you know the story, but I'm sure you probably do. I was a young alumni, and I was starting to find success in real estate and entrepreneurism. I was trying to find success. I was starting to find success. We'll just say that. And there was a thing called the Mustang 11. You remember this? No. Are you serious? Well, this is how I met you. Okay. And the, the premise of it was SMU would pick young alumni that were relatively relatable and they would match them with undergrad that just were onto something. Yes. Now I remember this. Yep. And so Kevin and I got matched and connected through this program. And my sister was the one that initially, I think, kind of brokered the introduction. That's right. And there was just something about Kevin when I first walked in. I was like, this might be one of the only times that I have not the upper hand, but he's actually asking me for advice. And um, I just gravitated towards him. And it didn't matter that he was younger than me and he was in college. There was just something there that was just lightning in a bottle. And he was just a very precise person, even back then as an undergrad. And so uh, the friendship and the conversation evolved. I started the real estate company. And then about 11 years ago, he approached me with an idea that he had, which we'll get to. And I didn't have the mental wherewithal to even think about investing in something other than my company. But since it was Kevin, without a, hesit without a breath, I just said yes. And that company was Mizzen in Maine. And we'll, we'll get into the story behind it. But that's the story behind us and being able to watch him grow and to be a person that doesn't have any quit in him, which I think is a really rare trait, but Kevin doesn't have any quit uh, in anything, but that, that's where we're at. So Kevin, um, that's, that's the background. That's the intro that I came up with, but why don't you tell us your story with what got you here this morning? Uh, I definitely won the parent lottery. I had a, a great, great family life and a great family upbringing. And that is, um, I know very, very fortunate and a, and a great way to start out. Um, came to SMU uh, as a president scholar that made it pretty easy to come to SMU. That was a good decision to, uh, to come to a great school. Um, you know, there's so many wonderful schools out there, but the scholarship really sold me on, on coming here. Um, and in school I studied engineering management, which is a little bit of engineering, a little bit of business. Um, I went and worked as a management consultant for a couple of years, both in the middle East and back here, uh, in the U S and then I went and worked for the hunt family for a couple of years. And though those were great companies and I learned a lot and was working with exceptional people, um, that really kind of helped set me on the right path in my career. I just had this idea that I couldn't let go, which became Mizzen and Maine, but the, the, the origin story of that, the genesis was in college, I had a political internship in DC, which taught me I never wanted to work in politics or in DC. 
but I did watch a guy run into a building soaked in sweat and I grew up playing golf and I, I watched performance polos take over on the golf course where at first it was unacceptable to wear anything other than, you know, the normal cotton polos. Um, and then slowly but surely they took over and, you know, you've got the best PGA tour players in the world wearing it. And so I thought if you could do that in golf, why couldn't you do that to a dress shirt? But I knew nothing about apparel, textiles, design. Um, so I just, the idea stayed with me for years. Um, and after working for a couple of years, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I realized I, I wanted to try and, and build this entity, this idea. Were you married? Um, no. So my wife and I met in 2010. We got married in 2012. It was very quick. I proposed after six months. Um, I knew, I mean, I, I would have proposed after three, but I, I waited a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and uh, we actually, on our honeymoon, uh, I was talking about it's it's time to go launch this idea that I've been thinking about for years. Um, and she was both incredibly supportive and incredibly nervous, totally understandably. Um, and uh, so we launched in July of 2012, but I was married in April of 2012. Wow. So it was a, it was a quick turn. And I, I interrupted your story, but just so people have you know yeah. an idea of where you were in your life. We did not have kids at the time, um, which I can't imagine... Uh, trying to start your first business, um, with kids. It's just, uh, the, the conflict is so, so profound in terms of attention and, and what you have to give to the business. Uh, so we launched in July of 2012 and after we had our launch party, um, we, from the very beginning, Mizzen and Maine has focused on giving back to the veteran community. So we raised, I think about $5,000 at our launch party for Taylor Morris, who was one of the, uh, I think the fourth or fifth surviving quadruple amputee from the military. Wow. Was this the um, rustic? No, this was at Fig Fashion Industry Gallery okay. downtown. Yeah, yeah. Um, and after you know, we launched launch party, big fanfare. I expected we would sell all of our clothing. We ordered about a thousand units in the first run. I figured we'd sell out in probably I don't know, ten days, maybe twenty. And after three days, when some friends and family were kind enough to humor me. And then we hit zero sales for multiple days in a row. Um, I realized I actually have to go build a real business. I thought I caught lightning in a bottle with my idea and we beat everybody to market. No one was doing this. And it's a performance fabric dress shirt. Why wouldn't we, uh, why wouldn't we sell all of our units right away? Um, it, then I realized I had to go actually build a business and, and backing up for a second. Cause I just sort of hopped right into that. This idea for performance fabric dress shirts, again, watched a guy run into a building soaked in sweat and thought, let's do the same thing that happened in golf places. You were, he, when you said overseas, he was in Dubai. Yep. Which I, is not I studied abroad for a year in college, which is Dubai is not known for their uh, chilling temperatures. Nope. Washington, D.C., which is about Swamp. as humid yep. as it gets. Yep. Dallas, Texas, which is not necessarily humid, but it's hotter than hell. Yep. And he's I grew from up in Florida. Florida. Yeah. So, so there's a common theme there. I was used to that. Um, but I, I didn't know what the brand would be. I didn't really understand the product, but I knew we could... I knew we could create this product. Uh, it was literally just a matter of trial and error and not not giving up. So um, I the the real unlock for me in those early days was talking to a family friend who was uh, his career was in the footwear industry but he he mentioned a couple things that allowed me to finally understand how to go find the fabric um, because in the early days trying to just find fabric to buy and test was really difficult um, now i understand that it, it shouldn't have been that hard but i just had no context for the industry 
And so I just talked to every single person who would give me the time of day. Um, I couldn't tell them my idea because I was really scared someone was going to take it. I've now learned that that's comical. No one's going to take your idea. Everyone's too busy with their own stuff. Um, but just went through hundreds of different fabric samples. And then when I found something I liked, I'd order Were you in America doing this. Yes. Yeah. All on the computer, on the phone, huh. just basically asking when I finally found fabric manufacturers, asking them to just send me all the samples of polo fabrics they could imagine me potentially using. Cause I didn't want to say dress shirts cause I didn't want anyone to take my idea. Um, when I found something that I really liked, I would order two or three yards of it and then I would wrap it around me. Okay. That, that doesn't look right. It doesn't fall right. Um, so we had the first shirt in July of, uh, excuse me, in December of 2011. Is it this? No, that's what? actually, um, probably generation four. Damn it. I thought that I literally had something. This is a vintage. It's, it's a, a vintage. Um, I, I got this this morning and it just proves that I don't throw anything away, but I thought this was the first shirt. We released that shirt, I think in 2015. No way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, so we're back in 2012. Yeah. So we're way back in 20. Well, we're back in 2011. Um, the, the very first shirt I had a, a local seamstress make and, um, I, I finally found fabric. I wanted to make the shirt and this seamstress was sort of my last hope because no, I couldn't just call a shirt maker and say, will you make me this shirt again? I didn't want someone to steal the idea, but also no one makes one shirt, right? Custom clothing makers make things abroad, um, generally. So a local seamstress made me my first shirt. I went to her studio to pick it up wearing my normal suit and tie that I wore to, um, you know, an oil and gas company downtown, uh, hunt oil here in Dallas. And, uh, I put the shirt on uh, when I first saw the shirt on the hanger, I was like, okay, uh, this idea that I've had for seven years, uh, it's real. It's, it's here. But when I put the shirt on, it looked like a normal dress shirt. It didn't look like a basketball Jersey or a golf polo that I tried to make a dress shirt. And so I went home, I was really excited. I went home um, and um, my now wife, Jen, um, was cleaning up. Our dogs had gotten into something and made a terrible mess. And I walked in, I opened the front door and just stood there so proudly and waiting for her to tell me what she thought about the shirt. And she just didn't say anything. And I said, so what do you think? And she said, what do you think about you helping me clean up this mess that our dogs made? She might've said your dog, but it was our dog. Um, and I said, I'm wearing the shirt. And it was this light bulb moment for her too, because I'd been talking to her about this since I met her years earlier. And in that moment, this idea that I'd had for seven years, I knew could be a reality all up until then it was a pipe dream. And could we, could it work? Um, but in that moment I knew we could make it, we had a lot of work to go do, but that was the aha was in late 2011. Um, and then we needed to actually go build a brand, go build an identity, go build the first thousand units, all of that. Um, but that's a little bit of the backstory to our launch in, uh, July of 2012. So the evolution of, of Miz and the origin, how many times do you think you've actually shared that story? I've told that story. I, well more than hundreds, maybe thousands of times yeah. in the last decade. Um, in terms of that level of detail and, and the, the origin story and, you know, leading up to the launch, I don't know that, you know, it's been recorded anywhere. So really? it's probably good for posterity's sake that we've well, done that. Well, here we go. We, here just, we go. We just made history. Um, when you tell the story, does it excite you still? Do you, yeah. do, do, is there something in the story that just takes you back? It's like when you hear a song and you're like, Oh my God, I remember where I was when mm -hmm. that song played for the first time. Is it the same thing with you? Yeah, it's, 
it's this balance of it feels surreal looking back on it um and at the same time it also um it always sort of felt inevitable that we would that that we would get to this point that this idea that i had i never doubted that we would be able to make mizzen something significant yeah there were dark days and dark moments um and um, awful experiences along the way, but I never felt like it's not going to work. Yeah. Here's a question that maybe most people never ask. What does Mizzen and Maine even stand for? What does it mean? I've gotten that a few times. So, um, when, after we had that, that first shirt, I knew I needed to create a brand because that was the only way we would be successful long-term. And so my wife was working at a company name prior. No. Um, my wife was working at an ad agency her design partner, my wife was the business side, her design partner, the creative, her name is Betsy DeWitt and her husband, Steven, um, is also a creative. And so we were friends and we were out at dinner and I was sort of sharing what I wanted to work on. He said, I'd, I'd love to work on that with you. And the early part of the conversation was you should name it. He, he wasn't saying you should, but like a lot of people would name the company Lavelle. It's a clothing brand. I'm the founder. And it was just a hard pass for me. I'm not a clothing designer. Um, though I have uh, a level of an ego, it didn't feel right for like, I, it's, I had an idea, but I'm not a brand identity. Yeah. I wanted the product to live well beyond me. And who names a company after themselves? Well, you did it the right I'm way just kidding. because yeah. you, there is I'm no personality joking. or, or uh, salesman in the world like you. Well, it's was, the right kidding. thing. I was not f- fishing for that, but it's okay. okay it, didn't, it didn't get named Lavelle. But yeah. You're at dinner. And didn't, so. didn't get named Lavelle. He said, I'd love to work in it. So, um, we stayed in touch and, um, I sort of did a, um, free form stream of consciousness. Here's what I want the brand to be. Uh, and that description of who I thought our customer was, the types of brands that we would kind of aspire to be or align to, um, led to, um, he and another guy, uh, Patrick O'Malley, um, they sort of teamed up and gave, came up with 10 names. And I think Mizzen and Maine was the third of the 10. And I saw it and I just said, that's, that's it. That's the name. There was no question that that was what it should be. They are sails on a sailboat. Um, and so every sailboat has a main and then the second one is a mizzen. Um, and then no one even, even say, I bet you people in the sailing world will never associate it with, it's like the Beatles. Most people don't realize that the Beatles, when they spell, you know, the group, the Beatles, Mm -hmm. thank you. I've heard of them. Yeah. They spell their name like not like the actual beetle bug. Sure. But most people think that that's how you spell the beetles. Yeah. Most people will ne- even sailors will never uh, associate yep. Mizzen and Maine with sailing because you've just owned the space. Yeah, and I never, uh, you know, I didn't want us to be like a Nautica 2.0. Yeah. Um, and and that's not the goal. But the the description and the idea was basically, you know, the wind kind of empowers and 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 pushes you forward that's the the creative and and uh and brand side of it also if you think about a classic american brand even people who've never been on a sailboat it kind of looks cool and and glamorous and you can think like you know jfk on a sailboat off of cape cod or hyannisport um there's a very classic feel to it um as it turns out it's been an ever loving nightmare with respect to you're, you're talking to a vendor and you say Mizzen and Maine and they say, what Mizzen M I Z Z E N and Maine M A I N. It's uh, a very hard email address and that type of thing. Other than that, I love every aspect of the name. I love it. Okay. So let, let's, let's play the, the game of, uh, of, of sharing a, a memory. And again, as someone who 
one, literally one of the most prideful and joyful things in my entire life is knowing that I am a part of the Mizzen and Main family and it was the first awesome. investment I made in VC and I learned, I didn't know what dilution was, I didn't know what, I didn't know any of this kind of stuff yeah. and I, I learned along the way to where I, I kind of found my passion in business through this but you go and launch this company. Did you have intention of raising money? Did you end up, like what, what? What was the timeline in your head? Where just a spoiler alert. One of the coolest things about it is they became the fastest selling company in the history of Nordstrom, right? That doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah. So what was the strategy in your mind, knowing that you're a big picture thinker, you wanted to grow a household name? Where <laughs> I can guarantee you, any airport in the world, you can't go to any of them in the world right now without seeing somebody on a Mizzen and Main shirt. Yeah. Guarantee. Yeah. So what? What got you to that point? How did you strategically go and launch and have people? like me, a part of the initial, you know, explosion. Yeah. Well, t so, so two memories on that side. One would be, um, the first time I saw somebody abroad when I was traveling abroad, wearing the shirt, that was a really special thing. And still to this day, when I see people, New York, San Francisco, Mexico, wherever wearing the shirt, it's, it's surreal. I mean, yeah. it really, really is. Um, you know, very few brands will ever, ever, ever sniff the air that like a Nike or a Ralph Lauren does. Um, and while certainly I have ambitions that one day we could get there for me, it's just people love the brand. They love the product. Um, I was at a concert this weekend here in Dallas and I saw at least two dozen guys wearing Mizzen and Main. Uh, I went up to one of them and asked him about the shirt, just said, you know, thank you for wearing it. And we ended up in a 10 minute conversation. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, cause it's a, it's a, it's a, a cult. I mean, it's a cult that everyone knows about, but it's, you see yeah. the, the blue button, you're like, oh, yeah. you're, you're one, I'm one of you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so early days, I knew we would need to raise money. I didn't know what that journey would end up being like. Um, so for the first year or so, just bootstrapped, um, didn't have an income, didn't pay myself. My wife was working at the time at a, uh, shortly thereafter, ended up moving to a, uh, when we launched, moved to a nonprofit called KIPP. Um, it's a charter school business, charter school entity. Um, so she was doing development for them and, and marketing. And so we were living on a nonprofit salary um, that my wife had and kept us afloat as a family. And for me, it was just one day this will work and just grinding out everything I could using the savings that I had. And then over the first four years after that, we raised about $4 million from about 40 angel investors. Um, and, and that was both an exhilarating and uplifting time and just an unbelievably brutal time because when you raise money from angel investors you know just like sales you have to talk to a lot of people to get to a meeting and you have to take a lot of meetings to get to a single yes and in the early days i was selling a dream i was selling a vision we weren't a big company most people had no idea what we were doing and um much as I loved our first product, it had a lot of room to improve. And so some people looked at it and were like, this is a terrible product. No one will ever wear this. And especially people that I was introduced to being here in Dallas, a lot of folks in the apparel industry, people who've been around forever, universally, it was like, this is a terrible product and no one will ever wear this and you have no chance of success. It was- uh, After in, in, you already had a thousand units? I mean, we, we, I bought a thousand units. Gotcha. I hadn't sold a thousand units gotcha. um, in time. We, in time we did, uh, cause I didn't actually raise um, money for at least a year or so. Um, but I just sort of took the nose as like, well, you'll, you'll regret it and time to move on and just sort of put it away. Um, so 
we raised um, about $4 million over about four years. And then in 2017, we did a growth round of equity from El Catterton, which is the largest consumer retail private equity firm in the world. Um, and I had known some, some of the folks there for a while. Um, and I knew we needed to keep growing, but I, I wasn't prepared to, you know, sell the company. So I wanted to find somebody that wanted to be along for the journey. And I spoke to a handful of, of true VC firms like Silicon Valley style venture capital and realized very quickly that we were not, it was total waste of time to talk to anyone in VC. Total waste of their time. Our time. Your time. Yeah. And they'll take the meeting. Um, but it was a waste of our time because I, I will never forget. I had a conversation with one firm and I mean, they have a great track record, brilliant, brilliant investors. And she just said, there's no way I see you, um, 10 Xing your top line revenue in the next 18 months. And so it's just not a fit for us. And I, I sort of scratched my head and was like, well, I, I don't really know why you even took the call yeah. because a physical product. 10xing revenue in under two years. I mean, once you're selling millions of dollars, 10x is absurd, right? So if you go from $500,000 to 5 million, that's one thing. But if you're doing tens of millions of dollars and you're going to 10x your revenue, that's just absurd. The number of businesses who have done that is infinitesimally low when you're selling a physical product. And so venture, it just wasn't a fit. So I just sort of stopped talking to venture investors. So I talked to a bunch of um, private equity firms that have made investments in other brands. Um, El Catterton ended up being uh, very interested. And we, we closed that round in early 2017. And that was a life-changing moment because we had a very robust partner that was going to be along for the ride for the future. It was a huge vote of confidence. And it changed so much about our ability to hire, uh, our ability to get uh, debt. Because until then, if I wanted any debt, I was signing personal guarantees on on that debt. Uh, and that's quite a thing to see that I am personally liable for millions of dollars. Um, but that's just what you have to do until you get to a scale and a partnership big enough or a balance sheet big enough to do so. So would you consider your first hiccup, obviously the the rebrand, but like when you were kind of in the weeds differently, you're a few years in and I talked about the fastest growing brand in Nordstrom and something that you probably know is I, whenever um, I decided to put money in to Mizzen and invest, I made a promise to wear it every single day, which, you know, 10 years later, I literally wear a mizzen. I have the belt on, I have the shirt on, yeah. I, you know, and it's a thing. But what was your first moment where you're like, all right, this is actually a different kind of hard than I had expected after your, you know, household name, whether it's with your friends, whether it's nationwide, et cetera, what was the first time that you had to actually like with El Catterton? Mm -hmm. Like what, what was that like? And how did you persevere? So I can't remember the first big moment of, okay, this is a different kind of hard. Um, there, Two, two moments stand out. Um, uh, there's a guy here in Dallas named Carl Dorville, and I heard him speak at uh, an entrepreneurship event early days of Mizzen. And he shared a very vulnerable story um, around a day where something uh, nearly existential happened to his business. And I, I won't betray too much of his own story, but he, he said, you know, I woke up in the morning and I just didn't feel like I could go into the office. I, I couldn't face the team or all the things that needed to happen. And it was a very, very dark feeling for him. And that put kind of words to how I was feeling at the time, which was the overwhelm was unimaginable. 
uh, every customer service ticket at the time was coming into my inbox. And so um, I'm a pretty on top of it email guy. And in any given moment, I had between three and 5,000 emails in my inbox. It was literally impossible to do everything that needed to get done. But we hadn't raised that much money and we were still just trying to grind it out. So the idea of hiring a bunch of people was just not an option. And that was a very, um, that was a very empty, very difficult couple of months and years um, because it just felt like, why is this so much harder than it should be? Um, and anything worth doing is incredibly difficult, but I was surprised at um, the level of overwhelm that I felt. Um, and you just don't really have time to do anything. And even if you work the most productive day ever, 20 hours straight, you still haven't even scratched the surface of what you need to get done. Um, the, the second moment of the unimaginable difficulty was the first time I ever had to fire somebody. And, um, it was, I'd never done it before. I'd never even interviewed somebody, let alone, you know, manage them, fired them, manage a PNL, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and it was, um, he was fine. I mean, he was just like, okay, well, there you go. But I, I, I couldn't even put words to you're no longer going to work here. Um, yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, you, it's not that all of a sudden firing someone becomes easy, but you start to contextualize and realize if you've done your job and given them the opportunity and given them the feedback, um, you owe it to the rest of the team. You owe it to your customers and you owe it to your investors to do what's right for the business. You always treat people with respect, but that was just, that was a really hard moment. But then obviously we get to COVID and whatnot, but mm -hmm. El Catterton comes in, they infuse you with capital, they give yep. you some more structure, gives yep. you the confidence to go grow. 2017, so what, what about between that time and let's say 2020, were there challenges where, I think there's something really special about not, not necessarily a moon race, but you were the only one trying to get to the moon. You get there, did you have the first time where you saw somebody that maybe wanted to go and, and take you out? Not by you, but I'm saying yeah. compete with you and, and, and beat you. So at this point in time, when, when we started, um, we, we, I, I, I say we invented the performance fabric dress shirt. There was another business that started right around the same time as us, another startup. And then in the last decade, it's now every single menswear company is copying what we're doing. We were laughed out of every trade show. All the experts told us how crazy and stupid we were and that we'd never have a chance. And now every single business is doing the exact same thing that we are, whether it's 10% of their inventory or a hundred percent, the, the, the worst or the first worst, uh, kind of like takeout moment was, uh, and I won't even, I won't even say their name. Uh, there was a guy who applied to be an intern at Mizzen and Maine, and he was a super fan customer, had all of our stuff, loved the product. And I just was very honest with him. It was like, I, I don't think I can give you a great experience as an intern because I would want to actually like take you through it. So I don't think there's anything that we could have you do, but thank you. And thank you for how much you love Mizzen and Maine. And I think about two years later, um, he launched a direct copycat customer, uh, a copycat company of Mizzen and Maine, uh, a two word business, um, targeting athletes, performance fabric, all this. And in his interviews, he talks about how he couldn't find a shirt that fit or that he liked or had all uh. the stuff. And like, I have your emails where you gush Ugh. with your love of Mizzen and Maine. And that's just a lack of integrity. Hurt, um, hurt people hurt people. Yeah, it's a lack of integrity. And if you just said like, look, I, I wanted to start my own thing and there's some great pro companies out there, more power to you. It's 
clothing, apparel, fashion is not a zero-sum game. Um, no guy, other than maybe you and I, has one brand universally in their closet. But but even we don't because you have athletic apparel and you have, nope. you know. I, nope, I don't. Just Mizzen. Okay. I have Mizzen pajamas. I have Well, Mizzen, we don't make those, so. But I do. I, <laughs> Perfect. I, I made them out of the, the round five shirt. Okay. Well, we don't have shoes, so there you go. I don't either. Okay. That's See? right. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so that was a really... Um, it's a really aggravating thing and and there are always aggravating things that happen in business but when it's so personal yeah. because it's your business it's your team it's your family it's your investors um it feels very different and yeah. when people take a low blow and a, and a swipe at you it sucks yeah it sucks i don't think it gets any easier yeah i think just you know i've learned a lot from you too just adding layers make it makes it a little bit more easy, easier to process and yeah. perspective okay you mentioned the athlete game yeah and i think that's been a lot of fun and to watch you know, everybody from Tebow to Phil Mickelson to Mark Sanchez mm -hmm. to Kyle Schwarber and, you know, their their approach of, of just true hustle and grit, mizzens and getting in the locker rooms, yeah. literally, and also... That's a fun story. Yeah. So what, what was the story behind the actual athlete connection, knowing that people are loyal as hell to y'all, yeah. for no incentive to them, other than the fact that they just actually love the product? How did that start? Uh, so a lot of our early success was PR. And um, we had some great PR firms that we worked with, but no PR firm that we've worked with has ended up lasting more than a year because it's just kind of the nature of PR. So I don't, uh, don't have anything but love for all the folks that we worked with, but most of our success came from just hustling me, calling, showing up in New York, knocking on doors and getting press. Um, early days, we had a New York Times um, full page spread, full above the fold color picture. It was an unbelievable uh, moment for us. And my dad said, Hey, you should consider getting in the the local paper. I grew up in Sarasota, Florida. And I, I didn't dismiss it, but I was like, okay, sure. Like I was just in the New York times. How important could the Sarasota Herald Tribune be? Well, um, I took his advice and I reached out to a reporter and the reporter wrote an awesome piece. It was one of the, I think one of the best pieces that's been written about us, just really great coverage. We got a lot of airtime on it. And a couple months later, um, on Twitter, um, Ian Desmond, uh, who was a, um, a standout for uh, the Nationals, uh, played for the Rangers for a little bit and, and played for the Rockies before recently retiring. Ian followed me personally and Mizzen and Maine on Twitter in the same day. And I used to have TweetDeck open all the time. Just see anybody that was engaging with us was a great thing. And I reached out to him and just said, hey, man, it's you know great to hear from you. What's going on? Because we went to high school together, but we, oh, didn't, cool. we didn't know each other that well. Okay. Um, we both cross paths and he was always one of the nicest guys I'd ever met, but we didn't really hang together. And he said, well, I got one of your shirts and I, I love it, man. You should come to one of our locker rooms. Uh, you should come to one of our spring training games. No way. And, um, how did he get the shirt? Well, it was surreal because at the time I was still literally packing and shipping every single shirt myself or Jen was, but I saw every order cause we still had days with no, no sales. So I saw every single order and, uh, I said, I, how did you get a shirt? And he said, well, my, my, my wife's mother bought me one for Christmas. She saw the article in the Sarasota Herald <laughs> Tribune. No way. And so I said, that sounds great. And because of timing and everything else, we didn't go to spring training, but he said, come up to Nat Stadium. So he got us down into the tunnel outside of the Nats locker room. Um, and I think we sold like $10,000 in an hour. We wow. weren't doing that in a day at that time. Wow. And uh, I, look, I, I'm a fan of, of, sports i love watching i love you know following but i'm not 
obsessed like a lot of guys that I know where they know every player they know all the stats they are in every fantasy league imaginable and so this guy walks up to me um, and uh, I'd remembered hearing about a name on the Nationals uh, about a guy who's likely to sign the largest um, sports contract in history it was coming uh, so this guy walks up to me and he basically is like you know what's going on here and say hey man I'm Kevin how are you and he goes hey I'm 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 Bryce he was just shocked that I was like I was sort of fishing for what's your name? Yeah. Uh, it was Bryce Harper. Um, and, you know, he bought I have like 10 pieces from us. Um, and super nice guy, super humble. Did his credit card clear? Uh, totally. Okay, yes. good. Um, and shortly thereafter, he did sign a monster contract. But, you know, in those early days and, and ever since, um, I really have, I, I've basically never asked for an autograph, maybe, maybe once or twice. I don't ask for pictures with them. I'm just like, I have a product I hope you like. And so what Ian did, and I say that because I think that made it to where they were just happy to sort of stay in touch, be loyal customers, tell others about it, as opposed to, you know, I want something from them. I've never asked any of them to take pictures and never asked any of them to post pictures. Um, just like, if you like the product, I hope you buy it. Thanks. And so Ian said, totally up to you. But if you want, I could identify maybe five or 10 guys oh. who are leaders in their clubhouse that if they like the product, everyone in the clubhouse will love it too. And you will get an invite to do trunk shows at their locker rooms. I said, yes, please. <laughs> and so we normally don't send out free product and haven't sent from the very beginning because, you know, if I'm not going to betray any names, but like if any of these athletes are buying full price product on the regular, why would I give away product? But in this instance, I gave some to Ian. He sent some to some of his buddies on other teams. And as a guy who follows sports more religiously than I do, people get traded all the time in baseball, even great players. And so if I had three guys on the Nats who loved our product, all of a sudden one of them's with the Cardinals, one of them's with the Rays, and one of them's with the Yankees. Now we are in those locker rooms as well. But Your in seat that, is spread. Yeah, thank you. Um, in those early days, um, Ian, uh, Ian's introductions made it to where these other guys just just picked up the product and, and ran. And so that summer, I think I went to five to 10 locker rooms and I just roll up to their stadium. The player manager would walk me down through the tunnel, either just outside the locker room or just in one of the tunnels. And we were blowing through product. Um, and then the next year I went to Florida and um, Arizona for a week each and spring training. And I, you know, we did like a hundred thousand dollars per state. And, and that then really blew things up to where we became very well known in the sports world. Um, and through some investors and other things, that's where I ended up getting a meeting with JJ Watts team and proposed a partnership with them. Um, and then in early, I think it was early 15, it was early 15. Um, we signed a deal with JJ. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. He took a huge risk on us in the early days. Good Lord. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, all this to be said, I think that there's some, you're, you're being way too humble as, as usual, but not only that, but he's found a way to go and have these athletes that are not known for their personality, bring their personality into the Mizzen branding. And I think that y'all can just go to their social media channels or YouTube or, or Google and, and find it. But out of all those, what was your favorite spot? It's almost like those ESPN commercials back in the day that were really yes. goofy with the, with the, the anchors. sports centers. Yeah. Yeah. Sports center. This it, is sports center. Yeah. It's like y'all have done your own version of it, but yeah. what so was your favorite? 
um, part of it is uh, our our creative director Richard Ross, who um, you're good friends with as well, is one of the the greatest people I know. His personality really shone through in the photo shoots and and how we um, how we did videos with these athletes. And what we realized was, you know, we're not going to be able to spend a fortune on distribution of these, and so it needs to be something people want to see and an extension and expression of our brand. So. You know, when we would do our photo shoots with JJ, which is part of why I know he was always enthusiastic and happy to do the next one with us, was we would just go wherever he was to his house in Houston, we would go to his house in Wisconsin, to a hotel at a shoot, whatever. And we would, he would be in and out with a full video and photo shoot in under an hour. Whereas a lot of these other brands, it's like multiple days. It's a pretty exhausting experience. Even if they're great to work with, it's just a very different experience. And we just got to have fun. Um, And, you know, our Richard, our creative director and I have talked for a long time that we want the brand Mizzen and Maine to be your friend. We want it to be someone you'd want to hang out with. And if you go to our YouTube, if you go to our social, you will see that and it shows through and it's been organic and an extension of who we are from the very beginning, as opposed to some other brands that try to be a little bit different. Um, and you know, athletes got to have fun with us. And, um, when Mark Sanchez, um, we did some great skits with him, uh, over the last year, um, he's buddies with JJ and, you know, JJ vouched for us that we're a great, great team to work with. Um, and that means a lot because these guys ask each other for that type of feedback. Who would be the dream person that had a mizzen on? I remember there's, I play the game where I'll send them a message. I'm like, oh my God, it's a Mizzen and it's XYZ over in Switzerland. But who, who would be the one person if you saw it, you'd be like, okay, that's it. I, I'm, I'm done. So uh, that's a great question. I don't know who the one person would be. I can say some of the most exciting discoveries. Yeah. One was um, uh, Mark Cuban years ago and he loves the product. He wears, he wears it all the time. Shark Tank all the time. Um, discovering that Michael Phelps was wearing the product. Uh, it was during the Olympics. He yeah. was wearing one of ours on the NBC broadcast. Yes, I remember. Um, and with Mark and with uh, Phelps, I have no idea how they found the product. I no idea. I still don't. Um, I've talked with Mark very briefly. I've never talked with, with Phelps. Um, George Bush, where's the product? Um, the, the most pinch me in the wild experience I had was I knew that Tebow wore our product and I knew he liked it. I hadn't spoken to him. And I was at, uh, the super bowl many years ago. I think it was in, it was in San Francisco and I was at a party and he was there. And I mean, I froze up. I couldn't, was he wearing one? He uh, not at that moment. Uh, cause he was, you know, yeah. it's like super bowl party. He was Mr. Fashion at the yeah. time. Um, but he wears it all the time. He loves a product and I couldn't bring myself to go up to him. And so one of my junior team members I'm going. And so he just went up and started talking to him and like pointed at me from across the room. And I mean, I was both awesome and so humiliating because I couldn't <laughs> bring myself to go up. Um, but I grew up Tebow. I was a big Florida fan growing up in Florida. Yeah. And I remember going to one of um, his last games at the swamp. I was a huge fan of his as a football player and as a person, he's wonderful. Yeah. And I ended up talking to him for a long time that night. And he was like, I can't believe I'm not wearing one. I literally wear them all the time. I love your product. And so we just got to, to hang out and chat for a bit. But we've shot a spot with him. Um, a couple spots, actually. He's an intern, right? Yeah, Tim Turn. Yes. Tim, oh, Tim Turn. Yeah, and, sorry. And, and he came up with the concept, which the concept was he's done everything, right? Because he's an announcer of football and, and, uh, and baseball. And so the only thing he hasn't done is had a real job. 
um, like going into an office. And so th- he wanted to come because he loved our product and work in our office. A term, a term so, term, Tim yeah. turn. So I got to work across from him in one of the spots that we shot. That was, that was a pinch me moment. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, how many shirts do you think you have Mizzen has sold in the last decade? If you had to, if you had to put a guess on it. Uh, I'm sure I could back into, I, we sell other products. We do pants and shorts and, and pullovers and hoodies, but we've done, we've sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of product. I'm not, I, I be a fun thing to go back and, and yeah. try and figure that out. How, how many actual shirts? What do you think the single biggest challenge has been? Maybe not a challenge, but the whole premise of this podcast is people that are wildly successful that have been themselves the whole time. But did you ever have a moment where you're like, okay, we're literally everywhere. Did it mess with your head or did you just go and kind of stay head down focused and, and stay true to your, to your why? I don't think we ever lost our why from a business perspective. Um, and we've not ever been so successful that all of a sudden it just felt like it came easy. Um, you know, I look at some of the other DTC brands that, that really were, were headlines, uh, you know, between 2010 and 2020 and underneath those headlines are they were losing, tens of millions or twenties of millions of dollars a year. We just, we never had that much money to lose, right? We never had some crazy backer that was just funding massive expansion. And, um, that kept us humble. It kept us from getting way out over our skis. Um, we've certainly had awful moments where we realized the fabric that we bought was terrible and it had made it all the way through to the finish line and we had to kill it before we released it and eat that cost. Um, thankfully we've hired better people who prevent that from happening. Um, I would say the hardest part of the journey for me was just, I, I lost track of my own sort of sense of self and, and, um, what matters, not in the sense of self that I felt like I was the most important person in the world and my ego was all over the place. I just, I didn't stay, this sounds very Zen and I'm not a very Zen person. I didn't stay centered and I sort of lost perspective. Um, and through some very good friends of mine, uh, uh, my forum group I've been with for, for six years and just trying to recalibrate, um, there were a couple things that really changed my perspective and I think has kept me much more sane, especially as I've had kids over the last five years. Um, one of them is, uh, Tim Urban's, uh, he writes the blog, wait, but why your life in weeks? Um, and it's a calendar. It's a, it's a, it's a poster with 52 columns and 90 rows. And that's a, that's a really great human life. Um, and every single week, that's a box. You check it off and it's a visualization of your life. And so I'm 36. Um, when you see I'm a third of my way through, if I'm lucky, my life, um, it's a pretty powerful reframe. And, and the other aspect of that, that really changed my perspective was, um, if you don't live in the same city as your parents, by the time you graduate high school, you will have spent something like 85 to 95% of your days on earth will have already passed that you will see your parents. So each time you see your parents, how many more times will you see them if they're lucky and live a long life? And that kind of reframing really helped me. Um, I, I fail at it all the time now, but it, it was a total mindset shift in how I approach time with family, how I approach time with friends. And, and I still struggle with it. I still lose it. But things like that really helped me kind of recalibrate. And that was in 2016, 2017 that I, I sort of um, came back down to earth mm-hmm. and realized what, what actually matters. What do you think your superpower is? Uh, someone asked me this a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
I think my superpower is being able to see what is possible and convince other people in the same. It's a blessing and a curse. Truly. Um, And not smoke and mirrors and pretend that something's possible that I know is not. But from the beginning, I knew we could create Mizzen into something very meaningful. Yeah. And in those early days, you you got to convince people to come work for you when they know you don't have that much money in the bank to pay them. It's not a stable job. You have to convince vendors to work with you that might realize or might think that you're not going to pay them. Um, You know, convincing athletes of the possibility and wanting to be partners with us. Um, And uh, I think the, the part B of that is being able to materially celebrate the small wins along the way and really let them lift you up because the next day something terrible is going to happen and not be sky high or in the dumps ever just stay close enough to middle ground um celebrate those wins when you got them because the next day you have no idea what's going to come um but don't get so high that you're going to crash down when you don't have another one of those dopamine hits really quickly my dad would always tell me to bank the emotions right the good and the bad and that way you can actually kind of feel alive but you know it sometimes gets a little bit difficult. So you've you've not obviously no one ever perfects anything, but what you've done with Mizzen is extraordinary. You know that you're a walking statistic that never should have happened just based off the world. But what's next? Like what? Like maybe what's next for Mizzen? But like what's next for Kevin, the entrepreneur or the business guy? But Mizzen first. So Mizzen is um, doing the best it's ever done. Um, we've had a lot of turmoil and a lot of challenges through the pandemic. And, um, you know, the world has changed many times over, um, since March, 2020, um, the team looks different than it did when I left, um, and is now in its best place ever. And that's really exciting. So for me, it's just keep on, keep it on doing what's working. Don't try and mess with the formula, but know that you're always got to, uh, you've always got to be innovating and pushing forward. Very tactically, we're going to keep doing what has made us great. We're not going to have any dramatic departures. Um, early days, people used to ask me, when are you doing women's? And I would say soon. And like, we might do some, some capsules or some small things, but we are, we're going to stay true to who we are for a long time because we have so much opportunity in front of us. Um, I, I mentioned leaving and we hadn't talked about that earlier in mid 2019. I, I had not know if that was taboo to bring it up. No, not at all. It's a, it's a part of who I am. Yeah. Um, there was a philanthropy that my wife and I were very, very small donors to, um, but, but spent our time with some really great local groups that this national philanthropy supports. Um, and I, I just loved their work. I loved how they approached the groups that they worked with. And I spent more and more time in their orbit. Um, and they asked me in late 2018, if I would consider coming in and basically being an entrepreneur within the philanthropy and helping them launch new things. Um, and Mizzen was in this unbelievable spot and through introspection, working with an executive coach and others, I was ready to bring on a president, someone who had done this before. Um, and, uh, so just, thinking about it, what's my place in earth. And Jeff Bezos talks about his regret minimization framework when you're, you know, on your deathbed, looking back, what are the decisions you'll regret not having made? And I knew I could stay on board as a chairman, I could stay helpful to the company, I was going to be still fully invested. Um, but what a cool opportunity to try and make a real difference in the world in in a way that aligned to my 18. I was asked at the end of 2018. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so I left in the middle of 2019, because there was a, a long process to, to sort through that it was four years ago. 19, 20, 20, yeah, I've been gone. I, I left three years ago. Um, wow. 
And um, so I stayed engaged with the team. And um, now our, um, my former right hand and COO at Mizzen, Ryan Kent, um, is president of the business, runs the helm, uh, has done an unbelievable job through a very tough time. Um, And so, you know, 2020 was very difficult for most of us in varying ways. Um, but we've emerged from that. And frankly, I think we've emerged much stronger. We're in a, we're in a really amazing spot. Uh, but I worked at the philanthropy for three years, had a really great experience working with unbelievable people, working with great business leaders, trying to make more impact with their philanthropy, great social entrepreneurs. Um, but after three years of doing that, um, I, I want to get back to building from the ground up another company. So, uh, all I'll say there is stay tuned. Yes, I know. Um, not, not ready to preview it for the world. Um, but excited to come back for like a part two once it launches. All right, there we go. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to do it again. And also, you know, not, not just be an entrepreneur again, but when you are an entrepreneur the first time the founder for the first time virtually every single thing is new to you when i when i started mizzen in maine i was 26 i had never managed a pnl i'd never hired anybody i'd never even interviewed anybody or fired so or fired i'd never signed a lease i'd never had my own office i'd never had my you know i had a cube that i worked at um and so Doing this again, there are so many things that I am eager to skip the pain of and things that I think can short circuit the, the success path. Um, there is no shortcut, but I can short circuit not doing some of the same mistakes um, that, that just cost a lot. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, the, the, one of the biggest learnings I had from the first go around was every single industry expert I spoke with in the earliest days of Mizzen and Maine with very rare exception told me my idea was bad and it would never work. And so I waited a really long time to hire anybody from the industry because why would I, they all told me my idea was bad. Um, that was a terrible mistake because it took us so much longer to establish some of the foundational expertise that we needed. So hire great people from the industry that know something that can help you skip a lot of the headaches. Uh, and so this time around, uh, I will not be making the same mistake. Can we, is it a clothing company? No. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, so best advice you've ever received. The best advice, uh, I've ever received. I, it, it was not advice given to me directly. Um, it, but part of why I started Mizzen and Maine or the early days of like feeling that inspiration of Mizzen and Maine, Jim Carrey um, was giving a commencement speech or something. And he said, you can fail at doing something you, you don't love, right? You can be in a career in an industry and you can live basically an unfulfilled life. Um, or you can go try to do something that you do love where you feel like you are living your purpose, your unique way to create value in the world. Um, like you could fail in either one of those basically. So why not try to do the thing that you will love? Um, and I got lucky again, I won the parent lottery. I won the wife lottery. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate and I know that and it's part of why I feel the, um, both the, uh, need and the responsibility and the opportunity of investing back in my community and finding ways to, um, help, uh, society. Um, others live the same way that I've gotten to live. Um, but, the ability to create something from the ground up and hire people and 
um, provide value to our customers, all of the vendors that we work with, that experience in creating value is just indescribably beautiful and, and fulfilling. And so, um, you know, I think that to the, the long answer, the short answer to that question is, um, not, uh, to be too cliche, but you know, you're only here on earth for a short period of time. Make it count. YOLO. Yeah. Last question. Um, coming up with this on the fly, but the Jeff Bezos analogy of, you know, no regrets on your deathbed in a hundred years, whenever, it's time to pass on and people are talking about years. I like that. Yeah. Good. Your legacy. Yes. I, I had, I had lunch with a guy a few weeks ago. He said, we're going to be the first generation to live to 120. I was like, I like that. I like that a lot. I've heard from a lot of very smart people that there is someone alive today who could become immortal, not immortal. Cause you could get hit by a car, but immortal is you can replace cells. You, you could technically live forever. This is how I find out. Yes. Is it me? Well, Don't worry. It, it, this is the, if you have to wonder if it's you, it's probably not you. Oh, man. Okay. Well, yeah. at least I have a mizzen on. Yeah. Uh, what's your legacy? What are you remembered as? Obviously, incredible husband, incredible dad, incredible entrepreneur, incredible visionary and executioner. Stop. Stop. Too what, much, yes. what is it? Um, great jawline. Always, always taking care of himself. What are you, what are you remembered for? What's the legacy? I think from from where i've seen some entrepreneurs kind of lose perspective as well is this idea that you know many people will remember me and the reality is in i mean i hope i'm still i don't know if i hope i'm still alive in 100 uh but 100 200 years from now i, I don't think anyone will really remember my name and that's okay um there are very few people in history who are remembered and if you if you really try and push for that i think that you will end up making the wrong trade-offs in your life mm, be a sellout very much so um or just never really pursue anything that matters because all you're worried about is will people remember your name and you know if they don't remember your name you're gone anyway i would rather know that my family was in the best position in every way possible that my kids are happy, genuinely happy and healthy, have a positive view of themselves and their role in society, that they understand their role in their own family, um, and that I am a positive example for other people. So I'm a great boss, I'm a great friend. Uh, I can't be a great friend to every person and there are plenty of people who are gonna think I'm a terrible boss, but that I have given it my best effort um, with respect to um, some level of reciprocity there too. Um, so, uh, my wife, my kids, my coworkers, my friends, um, that I made an impact on them while I'm here is, is what matters. Good luck topping that. Whoever is future, uh, whoever comes up on the show in the future, but that man, that was, that was a home run. Thanks. Thank you. And grateful for your friendship and for your leadership and for your consistency and for your just, I, I love the black and white approach to life. I'm the same way. I think there's a right and a wrong. There's a way you do something. And if you do it, you go all in or you're yeah. not in at all. And I've learned a lot of that from you. So Thank the you. best way to support Kevin, um, how, how do we go shop for shirts, belts, socks, maybe women's wear in the future, but where, where do we go right now to go and, uh, and 
get the shirts uh, that we need. Mizzenandmain.com, ah. and that's M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. We also bought the domain comfortable.af. What does AF stand for? As much as you need it to. Got it. Um, and Frank. Yes, and Frank. Um, but also, we've got a couple stores of our own, uh, and then we have hundreds of awesome wholesale partners from the very beginning. Um, we've been a brand that is grateful to work with our wholesale partners, and uh, I don't care whether you buy it from us, from them, whatever. I just want more people wearing Mizzen in Maine. Love it. Kevin Lavelle, the one, the only. Thanks for being a part of the show. And that is Thanks, how Roger. you sell without selling out. I'm Kevin Lavelle, and this is how you sell without selling out. Roger's that.